Hello, my lovelies. Welcome to Thursday, January the twelfth, twenty twenty-three. Those who don't know that song, that's a Lionel Richie, a song called "My Destiny." Very good song from what the eighties, nineties era. Anyway, so let's talk about what's going on in the news. All about Harry's hijinks. Actually, I think the media is kind of simmering down a bit. You know, Harry's still doing his PR run, and um, well, the British royal family is carrying on about their days, aren't they? So, if you want to know what the royal family has been doing, well, working. In fact, in Daily Mail's article, the current one today says, "Smiling Prince William tells adoring crowds that he will keep going as he and Princess of Wales visit Liverpool in the wake of Harry's." Sneering attacks on the royal family, as a couple appear to ignore questions about the Duke of Sussex bombshell memoir. And as you know, the show must go on, right? And Charles was out and about, smiling, you know, just carrying on. So the question I'm sure all of you are wondering: Why on earth are the British royal family speaking up about this? Well, they're not going to. I'd be shocked. I think if William was king, I think maybe perhaps he would say something, but.、Uh, I don't think. Well, put this way, Harry said during an interview. He said that the British motto is "Never complain, never explain." And it, you know, it's a public relations strategy that's become a particularly associated with the British royal family. And、uh, it's a well-known、um, Quote, I guess you could say, because it came from well, the same thought that "never complain, never explain" came from Benjamin Disraeli, a British Prime Minister who served in the Victorian times. But it was late Queen Elizabeth who, more recently, demonstrated her ability to put it to good use. So, was the Prime Minister the original person? Probably not. And "never complain, never explain" it was actually used more often than you think with older generations, our parents, grandparents. Great grandparents, my gosh, my family used it, and in fact, because I grew up in the Appalachian culture, they also would say,、uh, you know, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, or anything similar. You know, don't keep whining all the time. It's it's so annoying after a while. And the problem, and I've been saying this over and over and again on my podcast, is the problem with technology era, especially with TikTok and YouTube. And、uh, you know your websites, Facebook, all social media. It's so easy to go in there and air your dirty laundry because we all have good and bad days. And I, th- you know, what do you complain about?、Uh, blame. I would say, you know,、um, the pandemic changed a lot, right? Because during the lockdown, we all got bored, and to kind of get out of the depression, we would go to social media and air our dirty laundries out. Well, it's become such a thing. It's so easy to do, but sometimes I feel like it is way too much. So we've gone from an era for where never complain, never explain. And by the way, I want to explain. I wish Harry would have gone more into detail about that. Um, when they say to you never complain, never explain, it's not saying oh just ignore it. It really means go find a hobby and figure it out. Stop harping so much about it. You know, go find a therapist or whatever. The late Princess Anne also talked about like how she couldn't express herself because she was very young when she married. She was what nineteen, and very young. Of course, at that time period, it was still normal to marry as a teenager to an older person. Now today, we're like, oh my God, that's disgusting. It is, but back in the day, it was quite normal. Um, 
And you got to look at, I mean, heck, my great grandmother was uh, 15 when she got married. And you think, oh my gosh, awful. It was 1928. She got knocked up at 14, actually, on Thanksgiving. Well, I calculated it at all. Um, tells you what naughty person people were back then. No, but no, just because she was uh, brought up very poor in the Appalachian culture in the coal mining era. And, um, but yeah, if you go back in, in history, you'd find out you've had probably a third grade grandfather that married a teenager. And you think, oh my gosh, it's disgusting. No, it is. But back then it wasn't. Today, yes, it is very disgusting. It makes me puke. When I look at family history, I'm like, oh my God, they married teenagers. Gross. But you know, anyways, that's where all that comes from. And, you know, when you marry so young, you don't have the emotions until you get about late 30s, early 40s. Most of us grow up. Harry still hasn't, obviously, but most of us are like, okay, yes, we have problems. We write about it. We can blog about it. Or for me, I turn them into stories. And that's helped me a very good therapeutic way of helping release anger and depression I had when I went through my divorce. So I feel like there needs to be a better way, finding a hobby. But that's where all that comes from. Never complain, never explain. It doesn't mean don't figure it out. It just means stop complaining it all the time. My gosh, you're a broken record. But that's the problem with Harry. He's Went from, I mean, I I would say he's always been the free-spirited one. I would say that even when I knew him, he was. And I feel like the more I thought about it, I actually had long thought about last night, and I was going to write because I actually had a reporter. I contacted a reporter, and I was saying, you know, about Harry's lies um, because uh, he didn't mention certain things so far. Of course, the book is coming to my office any time now. It's on the chalk from Amazon, so I'm excited to read. The uh, Like I said, I can listen to the Amazon audio, but his voice is very handsome and very soothing. Even when I knew Harry, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gravitated towards him because his voice is so lovely to hear. And uh, it just it's ASMR. I mean, honestly, his, his voice is so soothing. And um, I'll say him, and uh, between him and William, Harry's got the most soothing voice. I would say that. William's got a lovely voice too. It's something with the English accent. It's so lovely to listen to. And um, But yeah, anyways... I did contact, and I was like, hey, you know, what, I want to know their opinion, but they feel it. I said, well, I was part of this in Harry's life, and, you know, being a patron at some point, and also the polo, and they wanted me to share my story, and I thought, why would I want to share my story to millions of people? I have a podcast, I have a following, this is my story. It's not like, I, I, the thing is, I'm not going to get paid to share my story, unlike Harry. So, I thought about long and hard about Harry, and I thought about something that one of the inner circle Maids have told me years ago, back in 2004. And um, they, we were at a party, a house party. I'm not going to say who. Again, I don't reveal names. I use nicknames a lot because out of respect, it's been so long. But one of them was talking about how he got, you know, when Harry got in trouble with the um, smoking pot, marijuana, you know, whatever you call it. And they were kind of mocking Harry a bit. Well, these the members of the inner circle, these particular people, were more Williams friends than Harry's. And I was sitting there, just sitting in, in, in a folded chair, just sitting there drinking, uh, gosh, I don't remember. It, was like, it wasn't beer. It was Pimps. That's right. It was Pimps. I bought a little Pimps. And um, listening, and I remember my thought that very moment was, I can't believe your friends, whether you're friends with William or Harry, you're mocking Harry in that way. And they were mocking him because he, he, the way he got in trouble was public. You know, he should have done things private, what they were saying. And I agree with Harry, but I think Harry is also, when you're kind of cooped up, I wouldn't say he was cooped up. I mean, look, he, he's traveled the world, he's done things, but cooped up in a sense that he's always has his minders with him. 
And I saw that. And so when Harry wanted to get a breath of fresh air to finally breathe and be himself, they wouldn't let him. I'm talking about the minders. I could tell you at the 10-year anniversary for Setabale, you know, it was a party. It was in London at a lovely hotel. I stayed at the hotel, actually. And when he was about to leave, I was going to say, you know, hey, Harry, I'm so glad to see you again. I'm coming to the opening of the Children's Centre in a, I think it was in a couple, in a year from now at the time. And I went to go tap on his shoulder. He turns around and he goes, hi. I'm like, yeah, we were talking VIP. He's like, yeah, how are you doing? You know, we're just kind of having a quick, quick conversation. Well, someone from the office of Centibale told me, Salty, you cannot, you know, uh, talk to Harry right now. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know how Harry gets when he drinks. So they were implying that he had been drinking a little too much. And I know, I saw it because I was sitting, uh, if you look on the 10-year anniversary party for Centibale, where the podium was and where Joss Stone is, where she's on stage, I was like directly... A, like I, I was facing the stage. Harry was stage left towards, if you go to the podium and go directly across, like you're facing the podium, directly across to the left. Sorry, be stage right, be directly across the left. That's where he was sitting. So I could see him when he would turn around and I could see him drinking, you know, especially when Jocelyn came over to me and I got to dance with her and I was looking at Harry and Harry's looking at me and I'm like, I'm so confused what's going on. I'm not, remember, I don't claim I'm friends with him. I've never been friends with him. Acquaintance, yes, because of charity work and polo. But apart from that, no. I mean, Harry probably doesn't remember me because, you know, a lot of these things, he does drink a lot. I, I don't think he has a drinking problem. I just think it's that that's his way of coping. I know it sounds weird to say, but when you're stressed out, that was his way. And um, so, yes, a lot of girls were swarming him. And that night, and I remember, and I just said to Harry, I said, it's great to see you again. And I cannot wait for the chosen. I repeated myself on that part. And I said... Good luck with Polo next weekend. I remember saying that to him. And so when that person in the office said that to me, and I said, I'm not, I hope you know that I'm not a fan. I'm a patron. And she says, oh, I did not know that. It's something about, you know, me having blonde hair at the time, me being young and on my own, assuming that all they want is Harry. I'm like, no, I've never been a fan of Harry. I've respected him. I gravitated towards his personality because we're a lot alike, but I've never been a fangirl. In fact, I've always been his biggest cheerleader because I saw things from outside in. And I kind of can understand what Harry's going through. Now, I know you're all going, Salty, come on. You've already been kind of being negative about Harry in the other podcast. Yes, I had, because I had biggest concerns. It, things about Harry has definitely changed. I would say that he definitely needs to go talk to a therapist or get a new one if he has been. Because a, ther a therapist would have told him, don't do this, do not go public the way you are. Now, if you watch him, how he gives his, his, uh, his interviews, you know, on like Stephen Colbert's show and and uh, you know Anderson Cooper. Yes, he's angry. He has all this anger. You see that, right? That means you have still um, have not calmed down to the point where you can talk like a calm person. Remember, I talked about I would be, Harry did be right to me. Oh yes, and it did bother me. But we talked it out a few weeks, a few days later on that. But it did bother me. Now, when you don't get enough sleep, yes, you can be very grumpy. And perhaps maybe that's it. Or perhaps that, you know, being in America, being with, you know, and, and I'm saying, look, Megan's a beautiful woman. Don't get me wrong, but she is definitely a narcissist. And I'm not trying to be negative on that part. I think that when you have someone who's a narcissist married to someone who's an HSP, highly sensitive person like myself, and that's what Harry is, Nicole Kim is HSP, look it up. Highly sensitive persons. It's an actual thing. It's a sensory. 
And I think because, and this is a therapist, all therapists, I I don't want to put therapists down, but generally therapists don't understand what HSPs are because it's not studied in university. They don't talk about it. Like Sigmund Freud talked about it, I think, in one time with one of his colleagues in a book and uh, from the ni- oh, early 1900s, I can't remember, like 1930s, 40s, I don't remember, but it's a very old book. And it was like the last 20 to 30 years, psychologists and, and psychiatrists have been kind of talking about it. But the average therapist does not know about HSPs. It's a very interesting. So I went to therapy when I was going through my divorce and I talked about it. It's almost like I outsmarted my therapist. And that's when they said, well, why are you here? If you understand what's going on with you and you're working out with writing, keep up with that. That seems to be helping you. But literally, that's what the therapist said to me. Why are you coming to me? And I said, well, don't you come to that when people are going through depression? And they said, well, yes. But are you clinically depressed? They actually asked that. I said, no. All right. But you're writing every day. Yes. Keep it up. Publish it. You know, that's what all it was. Like they told me. Yeah, I know. You're probably thinking, Salty, not a great therapist. That's very true. But they were good because if I, if I hadn't continued my writing, I probably would have been incredibly depressed. I think Harry is very creative. I think he's highly intelligent. And that's the other problem with HSPs. So let's go back to what I was saying earlier. Never complain, never explain. Harry is a highly intelligent person. Is he emotionally unhinged? Absolutely. Is he suffering through PTSD? Absolutely. Will it work out in his favor? Right now, no. Once the media calms down, after a few months, probably after Charles' coronation, I'm guessing, the, the Birchwell family will probably talk to Harry and figure out what's going on. But right now, everybody is just wants the media to stop talking about the Harry thing. They want Harry to quit talking. But unfortunately, he's not. And I think Meghan really should have been supportive of, of Harry on the fact of we're not going to publish publicly right now. You know, and it goes back, and I talk about this often, but Edward VIII, you know, he made an interview years later, much later. I mean, he was older and he talked about, yes, I regret medicating. It was political. Yes, part of it was the excuse was marrying Wallace Simpson, but it was also because it was a, a political move. And he talked about it, but he said, one thing, you just don't whine about it. You don't. And I think if Harry matured enough in 20, 30 years, he could have done an interview like Edward VIII and then publish a book. I think right now was definitely not the right time. Now, now it's over and done with. You have people mocking his story. I mean, oh, seriously, I was seeing on TikTok today, someone had the ASMR of Harry, and it was the, um, laughing right now, of the part where he's talking about when his penis got frostbitten. I mean, I, it's interesting he told that. I mean, it wasn't. here's the thing. It was already public knowledge. I think he did talk about it. So it's not like it was anything new, new to, to many of us, but a lot of people that were around when he... Talked about, uh, you know, walking with the wounded, I believe it was. I, it could be another uh, charity, but I believe walking with the wounded. He did mention that. So a lot of stuff was already new. It was already old news anyway. But what was disturbing was what he said. If you, it's, you have to listen to the clip. You've got to look it up. But it's, I forget what episode it is. But he talks about, and then he says, um, you know, after he got his, his weenus, we'll call it, uh, yes, with the W, because I hear it on uh, YouTube, weenus. Uh, force but and he says i didn't know what to do and it hurt so much and you know, i'm summarizing it and then someone told him elizabeth arding uh, smeared that on his weenus and he's like oh my mom used to have that and when i put it on i thought about my mom and it just it just it didn't really the way he said it was very it did not come out right you know his uh his 
it, it wasn't a very good way of his delivery wasn't great on that um and i and i don't think harry really understands people are laughing at him and not with him i would say about 80 percent of people because they know it just wasn't right so remember i said earlier the virtual family probably will not speak and they probably won't it's just because of this it's it's not just real family it's like any family really think about it in your family history is there anything traumatic that's happened that nobody's ever talked about that you were doing your ancestry and you uncovered something like a murder in the family? I actually have a murder in the family from, oh gosh, back in the 1929. And that's a book I've been working on slowly. It's just, I'm trying to make it so a great crime story. Um, and, you know, people didn't they quit talking about it. And it almost was forgotten forever. But me, Salty Vixen, who loves history, of course, I researched it and I, and I contacted my great uncle. I said, do you want to know about the whole story? He goes, no, not really. It's just never complain, never explain. That's where all that comes from. But that's why a lot of history gets lost. That's why we don't know the uh, identity of, uh, oh God, what is it from Victorian era, the murderer, uh, the ripper or whatever, you know. That's why we don't know that. I mean, it, the identity was probably known at some point and then lost in history. And I'm sure, you know, it's like anything. There was a story I read before and end this podcast. Oh gosh, I was on a trip. I think it was in Belgium, actually. Or maybe southern England. I don't know. I've traveled so much around the world, around Europe, I should say. And it was talking about one of the kings during the uh, Hundred Years' War in the 1300s that he was not a legitimate king of England. And apparently, when his mum got knocked up, and it's in the books, things did not add up because the king was not, he was fighting. Sorry, it was, his, it was his son. And he was fighting during the war. So, more than likely, the heir was illegitimate from some man she hooked up with. The queen had, you know, hooked up. I mean, you got your wants and needs, you know? But you got to think about how many illegitimate heirs the thrones were there quite a lot back then. And the record keeping, you know, it was very interesting because it was very precise. So they made sure it would not get out to the open and public. Of course, years later, centuries later, like, dude, this is kind of cool. But, you know, it's it's interesting. That's, I guess what I want to say. And I know my tangents. All right, my lovelies. Tomorrow... Uh, I will give you my review, my personal salty vexing review of Harry's book. It's a lot of reading, but I can read it one night. And uh, I will highlight sections and I will talk about, if he put, talked about anything where I was at, I will give you my review. I know I can listen to his ASMR voice. I just can't because it's so soothing. It actually has put me asleep. So, like I said, I don't hate Harry. I don't dislike him. I just don't like how he's going about things. And I hope... He understands. One last thing I do want to say about Harry. He is incredibly oblivious to everything around him. He did, uh, in the preview of uh, an Amazon, we get the preview of the book, he talks about he's approachable. The answer is no, he's not very approachable. And I, well, I would say it's about 50-50 on that. I would say that Harry, um, how should I put it? When his minders are not around, yes, he's approachable. But unfortunately, he listens to the wrong people. And people that have helped him in, say, charities, for example, majority of them do not even get a hello or thank you. I did from him, you know, a couple of times. So I'm saying, like, majority. And majority, like I said, you know, I said earlier in a podcast, in previous podcasts about, you know, we went to the opening of the, the children's center. He never approached any of the patrons. And they were, I would tell you, and Harry has no idea. And it, it was festering in my mind because I was hearing the negativity, what the patrons were saying about him. Why can't he come over here? 
celebrities would talk to us, Charles and 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 uh, Will would talk to us, the Queen would talk to us, but and Duke Edinburgh would, and, and uh, Princess Anna, etc., and Andrew. But why won't Harry? And there's a reason. It did bother me too, but there's a reason why he did not. And the answer is. Well, that's another topic for another time. But no, I'm going to tell you the answer is that he just he's so used to people telling him what to do. And you could see him in every video when he's walking around, whatever, you know, for for interviews, he's clenching his fists sometimes. And that's a anxiety for him because he wants to say more, but nobody's letting him. And that's what the whole point of his book is. He wants to have someone say, I can finally talk. But it's about where he did it. That's what's frustrating. So again, all right, my lovelies. Have a lovely day. Goodbye.